The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow, will to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is a fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come So you want to know where to invest a thousand shelter from the coming storm while you have breath 
You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm. He's the only shelter from the coming storm. I am deeply alarmed. We are in already the beginning stages of World War III. And a democratic government under Joe Biden has brought us right to the edge and perhaps dropping over that edge of atomic warfare, the destruction of the world. A eugenics program has been put in place They called it good for you. They gaslighted you. They told you it was medicine, but it wasn't medicine. It was a kill shot. I'm alarmed by the loss of life on every hand. Death by science. Fighting. And war. I don't think there's ever been a time in history like this. But we're lulled to sleep by our media, mainstream media that constantly lies. If they're talking, they're lying. Let's be honest, let's say it straight. I'm so tired and so alarmed by what I see happening to the to the nation I love. I love America. But I recognize that because of the evil that is being done from the highest levels of government to the local level of government there is a shocking amount of pure corruption. What do you think about the cost of food? And they tell us it's going much higher. What do you think about what they're now saying? There will be severe gasoline shortages and the prices are going to skyrocket. Houses... They're dropping in value. We are seeing carnage on every side in our nation. Drag queen shows. Demonic, evil, witchcraft shows. 
I was listening yesterday to two people talking. And I was so surprised when one of them said, I don't watch the Super Bowl anymore. And the reason I don't watch it is that it's all rigged. And the Super Bowl show is all demonic. And I just won't watch it anymore. I won't watch the Super Bowl show show either, and I urge you not to watch the Super Bowl. I urge you not to participate in the NFL. Leave it alone. It's evil. I'm shocked by what I see. My heart is broken for America. The death and destruction on every side. The crime. Chicago. L.A. San Francisco. Portland. Seattle. San Francisco. Miami. Fort Lauderdale. Washington, D.C., Chicago. I've even stopped watching much news. It's all down. It, it indicates that America is crashing and is being destroyed on purpose by those in places of power who can manipulate a eugenics destruction of our nation. It frankly catches me and I say, I don't know how to even believe this, but my eyes tell me it's real. I can't listen to the lying procrastinators of what they say and what they believe and what they think. I can't watch the news saying, oh, the the economy of America is strong. Liar. It's not strong. If you still believe it's strong, you're not looking carefully at the numbers. It's all controlled by the central banks, by the Fed. Now, I look at all of this. And I see an America that is rushing headlong toward a God of judgment. God will not always allow this nation to continue on its downward spiral. You know the final outcome of America. It's being In scripture, it's described as a prostitute, a whore. It's described as the mystery woman of Babylon. It's described as sitting on the back of the, of the Antichrist beast until the Antichrist beast says, I had it with this woman. Throw her off, burn her, kill her, get her out of here. So America is going to be supported on the back of Europe. They're going to carry America. 
And Americans will buy, 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 spend, spend, go into deeper and deeper debt. Ah. I titled this broadcast today, Rushing Toward God in Judgment. Now, rushing toward God has two meanings for this broadcast. One, rushing toward God for final judgment and destruction. And the other, rushing toward God in our great need for Jesus Christ. In our great need for him to come and heal our souls and to restore us that we not be taken out with the garbage that has now filled America. Yes, I said it. America is full of garbage. I don't want to be taken out with the garbage. I want to walk. I want to run as quickly as I can to God, my Holy Father, to Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to go in detail today through a prayer of David in Psalm 51 that you could see how David ran toward God and how God took away his judgment from David's life. Is that important to you? It is to me. We talked last week about a new beginning. All new beginnings begin with repentance with seeing our true condition before a holy God, taking responsibility for what we have done and who we are and our Laodicea, lukewarm, dead and asleep, waiting to be vomited out of the mouth of God. Oh, my brother, my sister, I don't want to be vomited out of God's mouth. I don't want to be vomited out and cast out with the trash. A form of godliness, but no power. I need that power. You need that power. So walk with me. If you have your Bibles close, I invite you to open them to Psalm 51. It begins with, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God. Literally in the Hebrew, it is the sense of, please come and bend over me. It means to bend over like over a sick child and and groan in your spirit over the desperate condition of this sick child. I have asked God, I've asked Jesus, if he would come and bend over me. 
if you would be inclined, how would I put it? To have a, a proneness in his heart to lift me up, to be concerned about me, not to walk away from me. Some of you today feel like God has walked away from you. You need to get on your face before him and say, Oh God, come and moan over me. Come and look upon me with such mercy and with such compassion, such unfailing love. Let there be in your heart, O God, a desire to do something for me, to rescue me from this wicked world. According to your great compassion, that is, according to the tender pity of your heart, O God, do anything at any cost. And of course, he paid that cost when he gave his son to die for us. And then he says, blot out my transgressions. Literally, the word blot means Rub, rub out in the book of life, in the book of remembrance, rub out any sin in my heart. And of course, we're talking about David, who was an adulterer, who was sexually unclean, who had a baby out of wedlock, who took another man's wife and then murdered that man to keep him quiet. So he is both a murderer and an adulterer, both of which, according to their law at that time, meant they should die. They should be executed, stoned to death. He's saying, please come and and rub out that transgressions, markings in your book of remembrance. Or it could be, could I put it another way? Lord, would you get your big eraser out and just erase the record of my great sin? But then he goes another step. Will you wash away all of my iniquity? What's he mean? Well, in that day, the way they washed something that was really dirty, they put the water and the soap into the tub, and then they got in with their bare feet, and they stomped on that garment back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They didn't have washing machines with agitators their feet were the agitators he's saying oh god put me in a tub climb in that tub with your feet god and stomp on me 
wouldn't be very comfortable. But that's what I'm asking God to do in my life. Wash away my sin. Now we're going to begin to find a a theme that begins to weave its way through this prayer. And that theme we need to pay attention to. It's a theme that rises up from before he was born. A stream of evil running through David's heart from his father Adam and his mother Eve. And he's saying, please, wash me. Stomp on me, God, until this whole stream of evil and wickedness has been washed out of me. I don't want it anymore. Look at Hebrews, I'm sorry, look at Romans, the sixth chapter, where it says that when we're crucified with Christ, that old man is destroyed. That's in the Greek, utterly annihilated, destroyed. That's what David is asking. He's saying, would you destroy this stream of evil in my life? This event with Bathsheba did not just come by accident. It came flowing up out of my heart from many times in the past when I have filled my heart with lust. Lord, wash me. Wash me. Cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me, O God. Abolish, destroy, utterly wipe out this condition of my heart. And then he says, I know my transgressions. In other words, I acknowledge that I did this and I should not have. I was wrong. Please have mercy, O God. For my sin is always before me. I know there are some of you today listening. You have some very deep and wicked secrets in your heart. And they keep coming up before your face. One man said, All of my past sexual sin comes up into my face every time I go to bed. He said, I don't want it. I cast it away. I don't dwell on it. He needs to be put in that tub and scrubbed by the Holy Spirit. He needs to be utterly cleansed in his inner being. Some of you have that. You are troubled by the wickedness of your past. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. He's saying, 
I'm the king. The family of Bathsheba cannot hold me accountable. Ahithophel, her uncle, was extremely bitter toward David. And when the final rebellion came to Absalom, Ahithophel joined Absalom in giving counsel on how to kill David. But they did not have the power to hold him accountable because he was accountable only to God as the king. That's why he says, it's against you that I've sinned. It's very personal with God. Sin is an action. It's a voluntary action that I take or you take in rebellion against the Most High. And if we are going to run toward God, we're going to have to acknowledge all of our sin. We're going to have to take responsibility for it and say, Yes, Lord God of heaven, I have done this evil in your sight. And you are right in judging me, even to casting me into hell. I have no recourse. I have nothing to straighten this out. I have done it. I am doing it. I am wrong. Verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth. What's he saying? When a baby is in the womb, they are full of sin. How? Well, literally, that word sinful means to be bent, twisted, or distorted. Babies are not born with a pure heart. They're born with a wicked, evil heart, even though they've not had any time to commit sin. A mother said to me after I preached this at church. She said to me, my one-year-old bit me and he knows it's wrong. And I had to punish him and he cried. He hit me in the face. He knows it was wrong. I had to punish him. A baby from birth is filled with sin. David said, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now you get a better picture. David is saying that there is a stream of evil that is flowing through his life. That stream began to flow when he was conceived. And it's still flowing in that day for King David. And he is asking that that stream be shut off. That he be washed. That he be made clean. That he not continue to walk in that wickedness. 
the fact that I am sinful at birth and sinful from the time my mother conceives me does not give me any excuse for my sin. There is no excuse for sin. Instead, it means I must receive the offer of God in the first chapter of the first gospel of John. That when Jesus came, he gave us the right to become the sons and daughters of God. We don't have to stay where we're at. That's why King David is praying this prayer. He says, verse 6, Psalm 51, verse 6, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. In other words, you don't desire this wickedness in my inner part. This is unlike you. He wants me to be washed and clean. Every person who has argued with me, every person who has argued with me that they cannot overcome their sin has been unwilling to be put in that tub and stomped on and scrubbed and washed by the blood of Jesus. Every person who makes an argument that we can never stop sinning, what they're really saying is, I've never been willing to be crucified with Jesus Christ. He says, you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Are you learning wisdom from God? He moves on. Cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop is what is used in the Old Testament to sprinkle with blood. Cleanse me with with the blood. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. The only way you can begin to experience the true joy of the Lord is to be scrubbed up and made righteous. Righteousness leads to holiness. Repentance leads to righteousness. And then grace reigns through righteousness. Now at verse 9, Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquity. Again, he's begging. Rub, erase, remove all of my iniquity. And now I come to a favorite passage in the scripture because 
every night when we bowed to pray as a family. And we prayed morning and evening in family worship. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Not a heart that is given to wickedness, not the heart of being sinful at birth, not the heart from the time my mother conceived me, but create. This means put something in me, God, that I've never had before. You remember the Holy Spirit in Genesis, the first chapter, hovered over the darkness of the earth and brought forth a new creation. Literally, David is saying, let your Holy Spirit hover over the darkness of my sin and bring forth for me a pure heart, O God, with a a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, don't let me waver on this. Do the work that must be done. Do the work that must be done within me. Do not cast me from your presence. In other words, don't throw me out with the trash. I'm going to trust in you. Wipe away my iniquity. Cleanse me. Create in me a pure heart. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I speak with some of you and you're desperately concerned because one day it seems that you have the Holy Spirit and the next day it feels like he's gone and you say, what did I do? Let me tell you a secret. I've learned one of the ways of God. Yes, we can grieve the Holy Spirit by wickedness, and he will depart from us. But if you're walking clean before God, and you can't sense the Holy Spirit, He's saying, would you please spend some time in scripture and prayer and meditation? Would you draw closer to me? It's not a bad thing to not sense the Holy Spirit when you're walking in righteousness. He's saying, come close to me. I want you closer. Draw near. You're hungry for me? Then come close. So if you wake up one morning and you have no sense that the Holy Spirit's with you, but you examine carefully your heart and you know you have not sinned against Almighty God, but you're clean before Him, you have a pure heart before Him, then pray, O God, draw me closer to your heart. Do you remember Moses was saying, Oh, God, would you show me your glory? This is not the phony glory of the false prophets of our day. 
This is the person of Jesus, the glory, his presence. You're asking, Lord, could I see you? Could I see your glory? Now, verse 12 is a terrifying prayer. He prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Why is that terrifying? Because he's saying, I've lost the joy of my salvation. I've lost the joy of your presence. Because of my sin. Many of you have sinned against the Lord and you have lost the joy of your salvation. You're lukewarm or getting colder. You've been left by God and you've been cast from his presence because you have not been willing to humble your heart and repent before him. He's praying. Oh, bring me back into the joy of your salvation. It's terrifying because he's saying it. I lost my joy because I have sinned against you. And I can't live like this. I can't live without you, Jesus. I thought I wanted this sexy woman. But in so reaching out, I've lost everything. I've lost everything. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will turn back to you. We see very little production today in America with souls being one, the lost finding Jesus. Why is that? Because the church has lost the joy of its salvation and has turned to entertainment, to music, to good deeds but miles away from Jesus Christ. But if we have the joy of our salvation, and we have that new and pure heart, and we have that steadfast spirit, and God has not cast us away, then we will be able to teach transgressors the way of God And sinners will come and know him and worship him. Now he prays, save me from blood guilt, O God. Oh, my brother, my sister. America is rushing toward the judgment of destruction from the hand of Almighty God. And we don't have much time as a nation to turn back. We've almost gone too far. David is crying, save me from the blood guilt. 
I have blood all over my hands. David had blood all over his hands. Our president, our Senate, our Congress, the judicial, we all in America have blood on our hands. And we need to ask God to save us from blood guilt. He says, oh God, the God who saves me, save me from blood guilt. And my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. In other words, there's no animal sacrifice at this point that I could bring to you that would cause you to forgive me. This is going to have to be a sovereign act, a sovereign salvation that God works for me. That's where we are today. We can't offer a bull or a lamb today. Jesus died already on Calvary's tree. The lie is that he wiped away our past, present, and future sins. It's simply a a gaslighting by men who do not know the word of God. And then we come to verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. The best way I can look at this This broken spirit is literally a spirit that has burst. That is, a person blown up big in their own estimation, like a big balloon. Someone comes along and pokes it with a pin. And it blows up. It pops. Some of you are like a a big puffed up balloon. You float around easily. You go with whatever you think. But God is saying what he wants. The sacrifice God wants from your life is to be popped, to be reduced. To reduce into splinters. Last night I was warming some food in a, in a small oven. And I reached in and took the hot dish it was on and began to try to get the food off that dish. 
so it could be placed on a dish where I could eat. And I almost slid the food onto the floor and I dropped the dish and it shattered. Even this morning, as I was in the kitchen, I found pieces of the glass on the floor. I thought I'd gotten it all. The Lord is looking for people with a broken spirit. That is people who have no longer a sense of pride and anger and bitterness in their hearts. They don't have to be somebody. They don't have to prove themselves to someone. They don't have to reach out and grasp and growl and try to get for themselves. No, their balloon has burst. They no longer look at themselves as somebody who is important, who needs to be reckoned with. They're not going to go correct someone and straighten them out and tell them, off, give them a piece of their mind. Broken spirit and a contrite heart. That word contrite means to be beat out thin. Take a piece of metal. I'm strong, I'm tough. Put it in the forge and then beat it out thin. A broken spirit and a contrite heart don't talk about the bones drying up. Instead, it talks about giving up, tooting my own horn, being somebody being somebody to be reckoned with, being proud of the money I have or the car I drive or the house I live in or the person I'm married to or what my children are. It means you give up all of that pride and you put it in Jesus' hands. You let the bubble burst. On this journey, let me be very frank with you. One of the issues that I've had to struggle with Am I willing to not participate in all of the fun things of this world? Innocent, enjoyable though. Like right now, I'm not blue water sailing. I'm not doing the traveling that I love to do. I love to go to France. And Switzerland is my all-time favorite place to go stay in a little chalet in the mountains where you wake up in the morning and you hear the cowbells, eat their wonderful pastries. I love to walk down the streets in Paris and sit at one of the little cafes and have a coffee and some of their wonderful, wonderful pastries. You know what? The Lord has said to me, are you willing to give up not just things that are evil? Are you willing to give up those things that take your time and energy? 
Are you willing to give up everything for my kingdom? Will you stay right there with your with your work I've assigned you and not think about all of those things that you're missing that are going by you? I've had a hard time, but I've said yes to that. I said to my wife, it feels as though God has his hands around me and he's squeezing me in. He's tightening his hands on me. And there's no room for anything in my heart but God. There's no room for anything to do except God's work. I know we are right at the edge of destruction in this nation. I know starvation is coming to America. Great shortages of of food and, and supplies and gas. I know that's what's happening. I'm watching it. As we rush toward war with Russia, a senseless, wicked war that we have promulgated breaks my heart. Are you willing to let God begin to reduce all of your entertainment and all of your wants and all of your desires and let God get his hands around you and begin to squeeze you down a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. No longer filled with pride and arrogance, but popped. Are you willing to do that? In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. And there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight. And bulls will be offered on your altar. Are you willing to build up the body of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to be squeezed down and recognize that you have a primary responsibility in life? And that is to give and build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. not an easy choice but when you look at eternity it's very easy (laughs) I used to as a boy say to my dad daddy why can't we live in a nice house like the preacher lives in or why can't we live in a beautiful home like so and so lives in daddy would say Raymond We're making deposits every week into the bank of heaven for the building of our home over there. And that satisfied me. It wasn't that we were poor. It's that dad was giving 50% of his income for the work of the gospel. He was utterly squeezed down. 
I'm not saying you need to give 50%. That was what God called dad to do. But I know people who don't give one penny for the work of the gospel, yet they claim to be Christians. You listen to him pray, you listen to him talk, and you say, well, there's that Christian. No, he's not. He's not building the kingdom of God. He's building his own kingdom. Well, we're out of time for today. I pray this has been helpful. We are rushing toward God and toward judgment. And I want you to pray for a clean heart and a new beginning. Lord Jesus, I lift up your holy name. Have your way, almighty God. Move upon every person who will listen to this broadcast and cause them to pray Psalm 51 and to seek your face with all of their heart. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I'm Pastor Ray. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel, one word, dot com. You're welcome to give online. I pray you will as the Holy Spirit prompts you. Thank you, Gail. I just got your wonderful offering. I've been praying for you, for your provision and for your son. And thank you, Dirk and Rodney, each one of you, 